Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. The Momentum, I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, welcome back to the number one Vetrepreneur Resilience Podcast in the world. Today, we're going to be talking about something dear to my heart. Um, my mind is was always scattered. And I always had a lot of things going on in my mind. And our friend Neil is actually going to talk to us. We're going to be talking about wellness, meditation, mindfulness, um, getting some peace in your life for once. And I just want to say thank you for coming on. Neil, my brother, what's going on? Hey, Richard, can you hear me? Oh, man, I hear you, Lima Charlie. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Uh, you know, if, if my life was any better, I would be twins. <laughs> I love that. That's good, man. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, John and, and Will have so many great things to say about you. So if you're anything oh, close you. to them, guys, you're going to be amazing today. Yeah, those are, those are good buddies of mine. I'm actually going to see them in person here uh, in about a month in Costa Rica. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. So what's going on in your world? Uh, what's going on? I... Um... I'm back to my roots, I would say, as an entrepreneur after a, you know, a long stint of corporate grind. And we've got a couple cool family businesses that are doing well. And then um, I'm still teaching a lot of meditation for, for corporations, a lot of like top teams and um, leadership teams that, you know, want to build better working environments and reduce stress. And I just like love doing it. You know, it's one of those things that doesn't feel like work. And then the other big thing is started a company about a year and a half ago to help with folks in mental health um, and, you know, offer some alternative therapies and different modalities that are different than the, the Western medical system. Cause you know, I think it's pretty clear that that's not, uh, not working um, as well as we had hoped. And um, that company looks like um, is, is being fully acquired by um, a really well-known uh, nonprofit that does research in in this mental health space. So it's super exciting. Lots of things to be thankful for. I, I feel like you. It's like I uh, can't can't believe how great things are. Yep. And I want to eventually. I, I want to get into all that. Um, but first of all, I, I got to find out. You know where you're from. Where were you born? And what kind of little boy was Neil? <clears throat> um, so I grew up in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, it's kind of funny. Both on both my mom and dad's side, the families have been in Frederick, which is a, a small town of uh, north of DC for like 300 years. So there's lots of, lots of roots here. And what was Neil like as a kid? I was a bit of a troublemaker, but I was, I was, I was, I was bright and was a decent athlete. Um, but I, I got myself in like a bit of trouble from here and there. I liked adventure, you know, and I, I liked to hang out with people that were doing, they were doing exciting things, but, uh, you know, all in all, good, good, uh, good childhood. What kind of sports did you play? B baseball was my, was my main, but I loved, you know, basketball and played a bit of football too. Okay. So what were you like in high school? Were you um, a great athlete? Were you a good student? Um, I was a decent athlete and I would say, well, in math, I was kind of off the charts. I ended up taking this test and All right, guys, I think we might be having an issue because it was, it was my fault um, that whenever the phone locks, if we're on a phone, it mutes you. Oh, sorry. There we go. No, I got. I should have told you that was my bad. I'm so sorry. Yeah, if the phone locks. Um, so where'd you lose me? Uh, just we're talking about um, you were in high school and how great you were in math and, and the test that you took. Uh, yeah, so I was 
I had this real gift in math, but then I was also like exceptionally lazy. You know, I just didn't like doing homework or following rules much. Um, so I would say um, I was probably like a, a barely above average student because uh, I was I was just pretty much mailing it in. But I, I fixed it. I fixed it in college when things got quite a bit harder and you know, I, had, I had to buckle down. Now, what college did you, did you go to and what did you pick? What um, major did you pick? Yeah, I, my undergrad, I did at University of Maryland and I did math. Um, and then I did a graduate degree at Columbia University and I did a, a master's in business and a master's in international affairs. Okay, so now you got to tell me, um, okay, you're in academia now and then you decide to join the military. What, what was your thought process and what was it the day you first walked into the recruiter's office? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was September 11th, man. I was at University of Maryland and um, we, you know, found out on the, on the news what was happening. And I remember like the, the second plane hit the, the second tower and being like, oh, like there's no doubt what's happening now. And then shortly thereafter, I, I still don't know how we figured it out, but a group of us ended up kind of getting to the top of the football stadium. And from the top of the football stadium, you could see the smoke from the Pentagon because straight line distance, you know, it's probably not even 20 miles. And um, man, the, the military had never been on my radar prior. Frankly, I, I didn't have a lot of respect for it really, because I didn't, I didn't know different. Um, and then I started watching the news a lot and just was so fascinated by what was happening in the, in the world. Like, you know, I thought that war was a thing of the past really. And I just couldn't believe it. And and I was dating a girl at the time whose dad was a really senior level guy at the Pentagon, full colonel. And as soon as I showed some interest, he was like, well, why don't you, why don't you come hang out with me at the Pentagon a couple of times? And I did that. And then that was it, man. I ended up leaving school and enlisting pretty shortly thereafter. And then, um, yeah, I actually got activated to be deployed to Iraq. But um, like some things fell through and I ended up being able to come back to school and, and, and join an ROTC program and, and finished as, you know, as a cadet there and came in as a lieutenant. And so, it, you know, you pick, you could have picked anything like I'm, I'm, I'm an armor guy. I was, yeah. a, I was a dumbass tank. Um, so what made you choose um, infantry and what made you th think, okay, well, I'm, um, I'm ranger material. Yeah, I, um, well, I actually, my, my MOS when I went in or like my, my officer designation, I was an, I was a engineer, Okay. but I never, I never spent a day in an engineer unit. I was at a combined arms battalion, um, in, at, at four ID two eight infantry. And there was an infantry platoon open and I had gone to ranger school and the battalion commander really liked me. And by this point I was like, I actually was thinking, oh, I probably should have done infantry. I want to be more in it. You know, I want to be, not the engineers aren't in it, but I kind of like the mission set of infantry more. So I kind of threw my hand in the air and I ended up taking a infantry platoon. And then, yeah, went to Iraq with them, kind of at the tail end of the surge and then got encouraged to go, you know, submit a packet and try out for the Ranger Regiment. And I got, got picked up and then yeah, I went to second ranger battalion. And I mean, that was, that was a really incredible experience, although it left some marks, no question, but you know, it was two seven five. So it was like Pat Tillman's battalion. Yep. And you know, he had been killed by the time I got there, but I mean, he was, you know, his legend was just everywhere. It was so humbling um, to be around guys like that. And then, you know, Leroy Petrie got the medal of honor when I was there. So, you know, I mean, my, I don't want to, they kind of, you know, pump my own stuff up um, because like my level of service relative to a lot of the guys that were there is like literally nothing, but it was just like an incredible and like humbling experience to be around guys that were so principled and, and so selfless and just like believed in the mission. And I've never had any, any other experience even remotely close to it. So I, you know, and I love that and I appreciate your humbleness. Um, I think that's a, a great a attribute to have, now, you know, when I talked to John, I had him on, I've had John and Will both on the show. And I asked John, I said, you know, what was it like going through Buds? And, you know, what was the mindset that he took 
you know, because he's seen a lot of people ring that bell. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, what was it that made you want to just say, okay, I'm not going to quit. You know, I'm going to have to pass out or die before I quit. What was your mindset going through the selection process? And what do you think um, the main reason people succeed and fail in selection process? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's, good, it's good and it's bad. It's like when you're young and, you know, a fiery uh, alpha male, there's a lot of ego going on. So I think for me, for sure, it was, I had a lot to prove and I, I, I just like refused to accept the fact that I was going to fail. And um, yeah, there were some periods for sure in Ranger school where like I had a pretty gnarly knee injury and was in like pretty excruciating pain, but I just, just said, Nope, I'm not going to be that. I'm just not going to be that guy. And, you know, I hear you body, but like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to figure this out. So I have a lot of like self-talk with my, with myself. Um, were you going to say something, Richard? No, I'm just trying to, I'm just, I'm just hanging on your every word. Oh. <laughs> ever, you know, ever since I became, I, I became blind, my hearing has got much better. So I'm able to actually hang on every word that a person oh. talk, says. So now why do you think people don't make it? Cause you know, like I told John, when I, when I talked to him, I said, you know, now that I, I've met many of you guys that are, you know, um, have been in, in the forces and, and stuff like that, you're not what I ever thought you guys would be. You know, I always thought you guys would be like six, five blonde hair, blue eyed, jacked, 3% body fat. And I said, sometimes I meet you guys in person. It's like meeting my accountant. <laughs> it's not what yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I know. I hear you. I mean, I felt the same similar, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, look, I think for the SEALs and for like the Rangers and Marine Recon, all those kind of special operations units, you like, you have to be an athlete, like no question, but we're, you know, it's more about, do you have the right mindset that, that like, you know, you could take plenty of professional NFL football players and physically no question they could do the physical part. It's like, can you handle the suck? Can you handle the misery? Um, and I mean, I think that, that, that's a big part of it. And some people are just more able to do that. And in ranger school, they used to joke about it, like pretty openly. They would say that, um, you know, everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been tired. Everybody's been cold. Um, everybody's been hungry. Everybody's been wet. But like in ranger school, because they're such experts, they like know how to create like a really special stew of suck of all those things at the same time to really like try and push you over your, your limits. So it's more, it's much, much more a mental game um, than, than, you know, being a, a physical stud. Now, also, you know, you're, you went through as a lieutenant, correct? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when you're, you know, even if you're, you're a second lieutenant, first lieutenant, you're going to you're going to be ordering people to do certain things and and putting their lives in danger. So there's a lot more on your shoulders than being being, you know, going through ranger school, being a sergeant or you know what I mean? So what was it? What mindset did it take to learn how to become a leader of men? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the military, what, what, what's really special about the military is like you get reps, is you get, you get opportunities to try being a leader kind of really young and in super intense situations. And, you know, I was like 24 in Iraq leading a platoon of 35 with an attached Iraqi platoon, and I was a kid, right? So I tried a couple different leadership styles i mean frankly i was quite a dick for um i hope that's not that's okay on your show sorry oh yeah um, this is our show brother it's, uh, it's two oh. brothers having a cup of coffee <laughs> okay um so i tried this this mode of kind of like just relying on my rank and i'm hard and i'm in charge and everybody's gonna listen to me because i'm you know i'm the effing boss and um you know, that can work in some situations and sometimes you, you, you probably do need that. But like I ended up, I ended up finding a better way, probably like when in my captain years where it was like, 
you know, out, out in front as an officer, you do need to, you need to be buttoned up and you need to be, you know, you know, a bit quite serious, but you can behind the scenes, you know, the most important thing is letting people know that you care about them. And it's like, well, how do you do that? It's like, well, you tell them and you talk to them and you ask them questions and you do, you, you got to do the one-on-one stuff. And then you get people to like, just really feel cared about. And they're not just a, you know, mechanical piece of the machinery and then they'll go above and beyond. And, and it just, um, you know, it's just a, a way better way. And in, in, in my opinion of, of leading is, is trying to connect empathetically, even in, in these like hardened environments, you know, that's where you can, you can really separate yourself. Now, when I first joined the military, I was lucky enough to, I was always on the uh, company commander's vehicle, the XO's vehicle, Lieutenant Colonel vehicle. So I actually got to be able to, you know, see the behind the scenes and hang out in the talk and find out about, you know, how some, when you get up to captain, major, lieutenant, you know, lieutenant colonel, that you have to actually not only look at the small picture, but also start looking at the bigger pictures. And I think that's, you know, we'll definitely talk about it, about that in business. But how many years did you do in total in the, in the military? Can you hear me? Did your phone lock? Okay. Yep. I got oh, sorry. You. Sorry. I don't know why it wouldn't even lock that time. Um, I was in the service for seven. So, okay. Now you're getting into captain, you know, the next step is major. What yeah. was your thought process in getting out? And when did you, when you did get out, did you notice anything was off mentally? Yeah. Um, so in the Ranger regiment, I, this has changed a bit. I don't know all the details, but when I was in, um, in order to move up to like get pinned major, you'd have to leave the Ranger regiment, go back to the regular army, hold a position and then go up. And then you have to reapply to come back into the Ranger regiment. So the option is really get out or go back to the regular army. And, you know, the regular army, there's a lot of good things about it. I didn't have a particularly good experience in it. And I like after being in the Rangers and like being around that caliber and that mission set, I was like, nah, I'm, I just, I'd rather just move on. And by that time I'd done three deployments and was on the verge of a divorce. So it's like, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of worn out. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd been watching some of the guys that were a few years in front of me and they were getting out and they were going to like really cool schools and, 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 and getting these really fancy jobs. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So it was a pretty, pretty easy decision for me. And then, yeah, when I, no question when I got out, I mean, I didn't, I don't think I, I don't, I didn't realize how much I changed when I was in the service because it's like, you know, it's just what you are and, you know, everybody around you is dealing with the same stuff. So it's like, it's hard to have a, a reference point. But when I got out and went to grad school and had some space and was around some people that hadn't been, you know, fighting wars for the last, you know, period of their life, I was like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like I'm really struggling here. And, um, I've lost my sense of humor and I've, I've become a bit, I've been come quite cold and like judgmental and self-righteous and, and, um, yeah. So it, it, that's kind of when it became pretty clear that, you know, I was, I was dealing with some of the pretty normal things after, you know, being in those environments. Now, did you have a plan when you you know because i always talk to people and a lot of maybe 90 percent of the people don't have a plan when they get out and if they did have a plan like mike tyson said you know everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth um you know when you get out of the military you know a lot of people struggle with um you know they they lose their mission you know they yeah and you know the phone stops ringing yeah you know the military doesn't give a shit about you once you're, once you're off step off base. So yeah. what was your transitioning out like? Well, yeah, I remember going through the standard, what was it called taps or something like that? And being, mm -hmm. and being like, this doesn't apply to me. You know, like I'm, I'm smarter than this, this program or something like I'm going to a fancy school. Um, and I didn't, 
so I, I don't think I really took advantage of what was there. And I certainly didn't do any of the, the mental health stuff. Um, my plan was to go to, go to grad school, which I, which I did, but I was, I definitely for that first couple of years was, um, yeah, feeling super lonely and, and unsupported and like, you know, you step off that, that pace and you step out of that environment. It's like a, it's hard to describe kind of the shell shock, right? Like going back to, I don't know, just a normal way of being. It definitely took me some, um, it definitely took me some time. So I, I don't think I had, I don't think I had a good, good plan. You know, I think I was just running real hard and was just running to the next thing. And, um, yeah. So then what, you know, what was, they say, you know, your come to Jesus moment when you, when you said, all right, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. So yeah. When, when, what was that? Can you take us back to that day? Yeah. Yeah. I know it. Um, so I was in, I was in grad school. It was my first year and, you know, I had, I had been a top ranked officer in the army special operations. I was at an Ivy league graduate school and I had just gotten a summer internship offer for McKinsey and company, which is like a really fancy prestigious consultancy that like most people would have you know, given their right arm to get an offer at. And, um, and I remember being happy for like a couple hours, you know, maybe the rest of that afternoon being like, yeah, I'm nailing this. And then the next day was like near suicide again. So it, I was like, I've got to fix this. I'm doing all the things, you know, most people I think would have looked at me outside looking in and been like, Neil is, he's, he's doing really, really well, but I just, I wasn't internally. I was, I was really, I was really miserable and was, was drinking a lot and was just isolating. And, um, yeah, so it, 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 it's a lesson learned for me and, and for, you know, I try and key in on this too. It's like people can have a very seemingly successful path and, and life and be very disturbed behind, behind the facade. So, you know, because like you said, as you were talking about that, Robin Williams just came into mind, you know, everybody thought he had the world by the right. And he, next, next morning he's sitting there hanging in his closet. Yeah. I so, know a guy that's like the funny guy, right? Like the charismatic fun loving guy. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's uh so what yeah. were you, what were your first steps in getting healthy again? Um, I ended up going to do some therapy on, on campus, which was, which was free. So that was good just to even start, start. And then, yeah, I, um, I, I was like, I got to solve this. I, I, I really, I remember thinking about it like a, a problem that I had to solve. I'm like, I need to solve this happiness thing because I'm obviously doing something wrong. And I remember I tried some, um, I remember I ended up getting prescribed like some depression medication and that like kind of helped, kind of didn't. I didn't like the side effects. And then I remember thinking, you know, like, should I think about some, am I missing like spirituality? Am I, you know, is there's, is, what, what's the miss here? And I started kind of looking into that and, and then I ended up finding meditation and um, that really started to help, you know, like that got me out of my head that gave me some space and um, it, it helped with, it helped with the anxiety. And, and then, you know, I, I started kind of experimenting with some, you know, plant medicines, right. So ayahuasca and psilocybin and, and others. And those really, those really helped, helped too. Um, and then, you know, it's been 10 years now since then um, it's been, a, it's been a journey. It's not like there was a point where it was like, Oh, this is all, behind me now you know um but that was that was kind of what got it started okay so you know like talk to us about you know the meditation because i know when 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 uh will came on we we i talked you know about the first time he ever went to yoga and he felt so stupid going <laughs> there in new york being like the only dude you know and being uh -huh. like six foot five on a little mat and yeah um so what was your first experience with learning meditation and what was yeah. the experience like? Yeah. Um, so I guess like my first, 
Well, the first time I ever saw people, my, you know, my dad was a meditator. So I was around it as a kid. He did a lot of like Tai Chi type exercises too. So I was familiar with it. I don't think I ever really tried it as a child because I thought it was a bit silly. And then one of the first times in my adult life that I actually saw um, people meditating was when I was in the service, which is, which is interesting because I, I was in, Af I was in Kandahar, Afghanistan, and I was like running, I was, I forget what my job title was, but I was helping run missions from the, from the jock. And I was took a mission brief out to one of the captains that was going to take, take the boys out. And like, you know, they're in their ready room and they're listening to Rage Against the Machine and they're loading magazines and they're getting all pumped. And it's just like, you can smell it in the air. Like it palpable, like the intensity, like these guys are ready to like go fight. And, um, I come back around the jock and, 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 and had to go back inside. And then two of you know, we worked real closely with, with team six and, and Delta. And there was a couple Delta guys that I had gotten to know from the gym. Um, and we all ate together and worked out together and we, we looked up to them, you know, in a big way, cause they were the, the real studs and, and two of them were sitting in chairs outside with their eyes closed. And I found out later that they were, they were meditating. So I was like, that's interesting. Like these guys that are the real deal aren't like getting frantically worked up. They're settling. Um, so that was, it was always in my mind, but I still, even then I was like, as much as I respect these guys, I, I still think it's a bit of a waste of time, but I, you know, I remember that, that moment. And then my first, when I was in graduate school, I met a guy that was doing his PhD. His name's home um, at Columbia university. And he was a meditator and I, he, he kind of taught me a few things. And then I, I downloaded some of the apps. Like I remember Budify, I think was one of the first ones I did. So I started like trying those. And then I ended up doing a eight week MBSR mindfulness based stress reduction program in New York, um, you know, once a week for, for eight weeks. And that was kind of really what got it to sink in. And then I, you know, there was a period of quite a few years where I was going on retreats, going to Vipassana's, you know, meditating an hour, hour and a half a day. And, and was doing pretty good. But you know, I, now looking back, there's a period where I, I lost my way again, you know, so again, it's not a, not a mountaintop. It's like, you gotta, you gotta do the work or old habits die hard. Yep. And you know, now John, you know, ever since I interviewed John, he said, he gave me, you know, said, all right, you're just gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna have to meditate 15 minutes a day. And I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> How am I getting, you know, we're so used to, having the phone in our ear, the TV on, oh, yeah. you know, we're so used to just having total noise and then to be in total silence, even for 15 minutes, it was like hell the first couple of weeks. I know, but, but now I do it every day. And, you know, even though I, I don't, I just lay on the couch and, and just have a total silence for 15 minutes yeah. and think about my day and, you know, think, thank God. And, you know, you know, be having a little bit of gratitude and, yeah it really changed my life yeah so now you said you you were doing great for a while and then you kind of backslid did you get and how yeah you, i did how'd you get back into it well so there was i got out of grad school and i had that mckinsey offer but i had had started a business with my brother that i thought had some real legs and um ended up deferring that mckinsey offer for for a couple of years to work on this business with my brother that he still runs full time. It's been, it's been killing it. And, um, I got to my, I think it was my second or third deferral with McKinsey. And I was like, Hey, can I, can you guys give me another year? And they were like, look, man, we, we love you, but we're not like going to be your permanent backup plan. So no, like it's come now or don't. And I was like, all right, that's fair. Um, so I ended up taking that job and I, I, I was, Okay, kind of cut out on us again. No, no, it's no biggie. Where'd you lose me? No, you said you you went back and you and you started working for them full time. Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't regret it at all. I had a I had a good experience. I got to, to kind of work all over the world. It was super exciting and work with smart people. Um, but I lost my the stress of the work and then the travel and then I was also spending a lot of time by myself. 
and not with family and not like in nature, I started to unravel a bit. And like, I started to get stressed. Once the stress came in, you know, you started to drink and then you're not exercising as much. And then you don't have the motivation to, to do the things that you need to do. And it just like really snowballed. Um, and then I, you know, I, so I, and I left that company and went to, had a couple other jobs um, that were probably even more intense, even more um, kind of toxic work environments. And yeah, I got back to a place where, where I was really, really, really struggling again. And um, I've ruined another, you know, I ruined another long-term relationship. And, um, and I just said, I'm done with, I'm, I'm done with this. Like I, I've been chasing material things, but kind of blindly. And it was very clear that this path was not filling me up. It was, you know, it was actually like beating me down. So I, I gave it all up and a year and a half ago and just quit and then started doing, I, I ended up moving to Mexico and getting tied back in with the plant medicine scene, surfing and meditating. And then just was like, well, I'm going to do this. This is how I don't care how much money I make. This is like the stuff I like to do and I can help people. This is what I'm going to do full time. And that's what I've been, that's what I've been doing. And it's just, you know, I think uh, I've been fortunate to, you know, God gives us all our own unique life curriculum. Um, and the curriculum I got, you know, I got the lessons a couple times now that the material path is a, uh, it's a fool's errand. It, there, there's, there's, it, it's, it becomes addictive and, um, you know, you, you know, we've, we've studied this, right? Like we know that, uh, income up to a certain extent, you know, basically when your basic needs are met or, or a bit more for, you know, just a bit more for like travel and adventure and things like this, you know, that there's improvements in happiness. But after, after that point, it's either at best, it's not correlated at worst. Some people think it's negatively correlated. So it's like you know, Jay-Z's more money, more problems. It's true, but that's what we do in the Western world. That's like the, the, the standard. That's how we judge everything is how much money you make. And it's just, it's a sickness, you know, and, and I've, I've gotten that life lesson a few times now and I get it. It's just like, it, it's, it's a silly, that's not how I'm going to live my life. Okay. So now I have a lot of questions because um, one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you come on because now um, just to preface this, you know, I've been in recovery for over 33 years. I haven't had a drink or a drug in 33, 33 years, but now I'm seeing so many studies come out on psilocybin, on yeah. cannabinoids, um, yeah. you know, actually some people actually, um, ayahuasca, you know, yeah. uh, so I want you to, you know, talk to us about how some veterans, some veterans now guys, I'm not saying all, you know, some veterans, how, they can, what are some of the benefits that some of these plants medicines can have for veterans exclusively, not exclusively, but you know, cause we, we all know that, you know, a lot of us deal with PTSD, yeah, brain injuries and stuff like that. So how can that yeah. plant medicine help us? And can you go into a little bit about each one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, look, you know, these plant medicines have been around for thousands of years and you can look across the world at different indigenous cultures and they've been being used in community to help people heal and to help communities bond and they didn't need clinical trials to prove that there was benefit they got it through experience and 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 you know their intuition which they knew to be true they, they trusted within in the western world it's very common for us to need outside fact instead of tuning into ourselves and that can get us in a that can get us in a, a bit of a bit of trouble. Um, so there's a long history of these of these medicines being being used, and um, you, like you said, the research is is catching up now. In the '70s, with like Tim Leary and the the hippie counterculture and the drug the war on drugs, you know, all of these psychedelics, plant medicines, got scheduled as it became Schedule One narcotics like uh, heroin. And it, it's just, it, it's ridiculous, you know, like it was one of the biggest, you know, blunders um, of, of, of recent time um, because the, 
addiction rate is it's just not comparable like they're not toxic to the body in the same way that you know narcotics are they, they don't have the same addictive characteristics they actually have healing properties but we just you know with the sledgehammer approach just threw them all into the same bucket and 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 then we created this this really uninformed public perception around what these medicines could could do now there is risk like no question um it, but if, if they're done in the right way with the right intention, the right set and setting, the right support, you know, like you can really mitigate a lot of the, a lot of the risks and um, they can be really, really helpful for, for, for folks. And, you know, PTSD, like what's happening kind of on that, like mechanically is, you know, it's a bit of a stress response. So, you know, the body is in, is like it's a spectrum but it's on it's on the fight or flight state and then you know you're just you're super reactive and on alert and what the what a lot of these plant medicines can do is kind of like break break that up and and then if you do the right work you do the right training and you like have the right support around it you can kind of get the body to settle back down and, and you can really like pivot and make make big big change where the approach with a lot of Western medicines, like the antidepressants or the anti-anxiety medicines, they don't get at the root. Like they're just a they're just a band-aid. Yep, you cut out a little bit, but you know, one thing I wanted to ask about, you know, um, you know, like you hear a lot about CBD. Are you there? I know, you know, you hear, I just, like, before I, I got on with you, I just received a, a package. One of my friends that I'm going to interview sent me a package of uh, CBD gummies, mm-hmm. CBD liquid, and CBD roll-on. You know, and a lot of times if you hear CBD or, you know, you picture, you know, a lot of people picture Cheech and Chong just smoking a joint. Right. You know, right. But they don't realize that your body has its own cannabinoid system. Yeah. And, you know, craves cannabinoids so can you talk about that in you know in that sense yeah i mean um cbd has probably been one of the best things for me in in helping sleep Uh, i've tried every single drug um that that is available kind of through the western medical system and a lot of those have some pretty significant side effects and are addictive um where 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 cbd is just it's a much more natural like, you know, like you said, it's kind of in our bodies and in nature. Um, so, but you know, the, I think there's also a risk of us like putting these things on a pedestal and saying that they're the end all be all. Um, you know, I don't think that's right either. We, but they should be, they should be considered without question alongside Western medicine answers. You know what I mean? Like, like demonizing them is hundred percent the wrong way now. Now, you know, they, they still have risk profiles and everybody's body chemistry is so different. So it's like they need to be, you know, people need to be careful and thoughtful about doing them. But yeah, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, you know, just because there's like a history of these things being illegal is, is, is stupid. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any logical sense. Now, talk to us about, because you're the first person I've ever seen to have in their bio uh, talking about consciousness. Please talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, consciousness is a, it's a bit of a spectrum and, you know, it's, it's awareness. And just from my self, there were periods in my life where I would say I wasn't very conscious. I was a bit mind, mindless. I was running really fast and, not in sync with like the natural order of things and was having issues because of that in my life and relationships. And um, when I say consciousness so that we can improve consciousness, if I look at all the big issues in the world, um, you know, whether it's like the political environment in the United States or violence or whatever, it's, it's, folks aren't we're not we're not able to communicate because we're we don't we don't we're not self-aware enough and we don't feel this like if you if you look at like the quantum level and there there's more and more research around this like there's a real interconnectedness to everything and and whether we want to believe it or not 
we're all in this thing together, you know, and it's, we need to get away from this I, 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 and me, 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 and see it as like us collectively. And, and to me, it, as you move up the consciousness ladder, those things become, you just, you intuitively feel them, you know that. And that's where I think there's benefit in, in getting people to kind of get out of the rat race, the frantic, you know, um, hustle mentality where they're just reactive and they're not treating humans as humans and have lost their empathy and lost their ability to connect and, and, you know, get to a point where we start feeling each other for what, what, what we are, which is like really special, you know, divine beings. Right. And, you know, and like I said, when I talked to uh, Will, we were talking about, you know, being mindful and, you know, one of the books that I, I just got finished reading and the only thing I really got out of it, it was a Grant Cardone book called 10 X. And the one thing that I got out of the whole book was, you know, uh, be, knowing yourself, you know, is a bitch. Self-awareness is a motherfucker. You yeah. Know? Because, then, you know, once in your life, once you stop blaming everybody and everything on, on your circumstances and you realize, okay, everything from this moment on, is my fault is when you have to start becoming mindful and, you know, becoming present in your circumstances. And I think a lot of people are so wrapped up in what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow that they kind of, you know, forget that today is called a present for a reason, you know, talk to us about mindfulness and being present at all times. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's effort. It's a daily discipline. It takes practice. I, I'm a believer that there's like, you might get moments on the mountaintop, but you don't get to stay on them. There's like no permanent place on the mountaintop, right? Like it's uh, you gotta, you gotta work at it. And then, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, right, like anything that happened in the past is a bit of an illusion, right? It's, it's done. It like doesn't exist anymore. And then certainly anything in the future is, is our, you know, just like our, our mind pro- projection. So um, if you think about when do we actually experience life, it's now like in this, in this instant and what can happen if we're, it, it, this is closely linked to like this fight or flight state and like just kind of the, the way we are in the, in the Western world is um, if you're, if you're spending too much time in the future or the past or in this, this other place where the mind can go, which is kind of calculating or making sense of or solving problems, right? Instead of just like being present and aware and experiencing, then in some real way, you're not in that present moment experiencing life. So you're just like, just touching the wave tops, you know, and then you can get to a point and then, you know, you you can reflect back and be like, holy shit, all those really special experiences that I had or moments or time with friends or loved ones. Like I wasn't even there, you know, I was in my own head, you know, judging or calculating or worrying or being, you know, uh, replaying events. So it's like, it can be a bit of a, a fog, right. That, that state that the mind wants to go in can be a bit of a fog between us and our actual in our actual life. And in some like very real way, if we don't manage it, it can, it can cheapen it. You know, you just don't get the, you don't get the depth. You don't get the richness of, of all these moments. And this is like a consistent, you know, you look across again, across the world, indigenous practices, spiritual practices, it's all even like new world kind of spiritual practices, like the Eckhart Tolle's and stuff. There's this theme. It's not, it's presence. It's the now that's like what, what folks need. And if you're, um, you know, your natural, our natural wiring is, is really one of kind of like wholeness and joy. And, you know, so if, if you're in the, if you're in the present, you practice really being present, you know, there's, there's nothing to worry about. It is what it is. It's just like when we, when we get pulled out of that too frequently for too often that we have like a lot of these mental health kind of unhappiness issues. Now, uh, one thing, you know, I've been delving ever since I, I talked to those guys, dealing, studying a lot on mindset. And um, and I find, you know, like I've talked to Rich Devaney, you know, and mm-hmm. all these high achievers, like, you know, like you, and, you know, and also 
seven, eight, nine figure earners. And a lot of their success, it has to do with their rituals. Yeah. Their, oh, their evening rituals, you know, their morning rituals. Yeah. And I'm sure, that, you know, when you talk to some of these high level executives, that's something that you talk about. Can you please talk to us and give us, tell us what your evening rituals are and morning rituals are. Yeah. Um, so in the morning, I try and, you know, I wake up and before I look at my phone, I meditate for 30 minutes. And right now my fitness schedule is a bit funky, but typically I would try and exercise in the mornings. I've been doing exercise probably more in the, the afternoons. Um, and then when I get to the, the shop or, you know, wherever I'm working from, I have a little notebook and I have this little rubric thing that I just fill out on a daily basis, which is light, um, L-I-T-E. It's just something that I want to let go of, um, eyes, insight. So like some, something that I feel is notable from the, you know, the last day or whatever that that's worth writing down something that some learning. And then the, the, the T is thankfulness. So like a lot of times it's like my brother or my family or, or, or you know, something in my life. So the, the gratitude practice and then the, the E is like, what do I want to experience that day? You know, like what, how do I, how do I want the day to play out? So I, I do that in my little notebook. And then, you know, the other kind of rituals I'd have is like, I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not religious, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious, but I do feel that there is some, um, higher power and like even if you start looking at the math of it all and the probability of these of us being us and this and this whole thing it's like there's got to be some intelligent design and um so even like from a very rational mindset it's like i think god makes a lot more sense than it doesn't so i i pray and that's been something i've started doing in the last couple years and so i have like a little you know thing that i do but it's mostly just like being thankful and and kind of um, trying to get to look at lessons that we might be getting presented for some reason. And then, um, uh, my, so uh, what is your nighttime ritual? 30, 30 minutes of meditation. Um, yeah, 30 minutes of meditation, I would say. And then, I mean, other important ones, you know, I would say is, there's like some good, and when I say meditation, I, I would say it includes like some breath work exercises and there's like a handful that I like to do. Um, but other really, really, really important ones is like conscious time with loved ones. Like, man, I just, there was periods in my life where I just completely discounted that where it was like, um, but that we need that. We, we certainly need that human love and connection. Um, and then also like t time in nature, Man, I mean that's that's something else too that that we've we've gotten away from. But there's something really special and beautiful um, being in nature, and I think we need that as humans. And it, it's a, it, it's a shame that we've gotten away from that. So that you know, there's some other rituals that I think are really good for mental health and wellness. Now, most successful people that I've talked to, you don't find them eating McDonald's every day. You don't see them eating a lot of fast food. They're a little bit more conscious of the food that they put in their body because they figure, hey, if I'm going to be successful, I want to live long enough to enjoy it. Right. So what um, do you watch what you eat? Do you, do you eat a lot more greens and vegetables? What is what is your diet like? Yeah, I'm I've been on this fasting kick for a handful of years now. So I'm a big believer in that. So I usually during the week, I don't eat until four or five o'clock, you know, so I'm fasting for 20 hours or something like that. And then, yeah, good, healthy proteins, like as, as much vegetables as you can get, like some good fruits, some good fats. Um, got to get good, got to get good fiber. You know, I think I, I did like the keto for a while. And I think there's like some benefit to that, but you can, you got to get fiber, right? Like that's how your body cleans itself mm -hmm. but you know i'll eat pizza and i mean i'm not a, like a, I, i've had periods where i'm like a super freak but those aren't that's probably not healthy either you can be an extremist 
um, yeah. with anything. So I, I think I'm finding a more balanced, a more balanced approach where I kind of I'm pretty tight during the week because it's it's, it's easier um, to not have to you know have, think about lunch um, or, or or breakfast and and I kind of like eat something you know kind of have this this like uh, you know pretty normal things that I eat and then on the weekends I kind of do whatever I want. Okay, so now let's just touch on you know for the last couple of minutes just touch upon entrepreneurship. You know, because one thing I realized in the military, you know, whether we like it or not, we learn how to read an SOP. We learn how to sometimes write one or write a nine line. But when we go to start business, we don't have a business plan before we start. You know, because like a lot of people want to get out of the military. They want to start a T-shirt company, hat company, liquor or, or, or a coffee. And then six months later, they're $10,000 in debt and don't know what the hell just happened. Right. Talk to us a little bit about what good things the military has taught you and how you've applied them to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I think what you said is, is like spot on. And it's, the, you know, the military gives you some really good tools. And um, but then there's probably also some things, some bad habits or even some self-selection for people that, that come into the service that that may might not be the best for entrepreneurship. But when you know, we were, I was part of like a lot of veterans groups in grad school. And we talked a lot about like, what are the best career paths for veterans? And I'm like, well, I think it's entrepreneurship because really I think that entrepreneurship is this tenacity and hustle and like being able to solve problems and just like work with, work with people. Um, and to me that that's a lot of the skills that, you know, being able to, um, work through difficult times and shitty situations. And, you know, those are, those are real skills that, that people that haven't had the opportunity to learn, like it's, it's hard for them. So they, they want to quit and you have to have a not going to quit attitude to be a, an entrepreneur. now the other side of the coin is probably, you know, you know, I'm in this bucket is like, um, what is it? Uh, ready, ready, fire, aim, <laughs> right. Where, you know, that, that's, that's been my life almost where it's like lots of energy, really passionate about stuff, but I get over my skis and don't do the, I don't know, the thoughtful planning or like the kind of the initial analysis before you just run into something like, you know, like you said, you know, maybe you do want to start a trade shirt company, but maybe you should evaluate that with based on, you know, some of the other options or all the competition that's out there for it. And like, get some feedback from friends before you just, you know, hundred percent leap from your gut. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a mixed bag, but I just think entrepreneurship, like having your own thing, it's um, a lot, more, there's more risk, but it's so much more fulfilling, you know, it's just, um, it's, and it's so much added to me, to each their own, but like, it's so much more interesting. It's so much more dynamic than, just going and working for a big corporate where everything's defined and you just do a through whatever X each day and, and you punch the punch the clock, you know? So, but it's a, it's a personal decision, right? Like some people actually like the real structure and kind of, you know, less hectic life and there's nothing wrong with that either. So what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've learned from being an entrepreneur the last year and a half? Um, well, I, you know, I was, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, actually, I, you know, I started a business, that business about probably 10 years ago. And I would say, um, if you have, yeah, find something that you believe in and love and, you know, it's like, I've never been a good salesman or I've never thought I was a good salesman because I never was trying to sell something that I really believed in. Now I'm selling, you know, mental health stuff and these retreats and, and I believe in them because I know I can, I know they can help people. So I have no issue going out there and, and, and putting it out, you know, so find something that you really, really care about. And then, you know, I guess the other thing is, you know, you do need a bit of a, you got to get your finances in order. So you gotta, you know, um, be able to have some runway room, probably a year, to really give something a, a go. So you got to figure out how to make that work. And it doesn't have to be just a bunch of savings. It can also be downshift in your life. And there's, there's probably some really good 
value in, in doing that anyways and getting out of that high spend mode. Um, and then another is, you know, each time I've been successful in an entrepreneur, like I, they, they talk about in a new venture, there's like typically three key roles that you need. And one is the entrepreneur. And that's like the visionary, the char charisma, you know, knows where to go. Um, good at solving problems. And that's me, like, no question, a bit of a freak, like a bit unstructured. Um, you know, there's some downsides to that too. But the, the other, the other role that's super important is the operator. So this is like the day to day guy. And this was my brother in a previous venture. And this is my good buddy, John, now um, that are good complements to an entrepreneur. And like, can have the structure and the discipline and make sure that the trains leave on time. And like, you know, where I get super bored with detail and, uh, you know, in, in, in routine, you know, you, if you, if that's you, you need to find someone that can counter that. Right. And then that's, that's a good pair. And then the, the last role that they talk about, is like the technician, you know, so it depends on the industry that you're in, but um, you know, that's your technical, technical expert. So if it's uh if you're doing a coffee company, you need an entrepreneur who's got vision, you need an operator that can make sure the trains run on time. And then, you know, you want to consider having somebody that's like been in the coffee world for a long time and has the right credibility and know-how. So it's like how to, how to structure those teams. And then what's one last, I, well, I, it, this whole conversation, right? Like the ritual and the discipline, and you got to take good care of yourself. You gotta, you gotta have, good habits so that you can weather the storms and feel good and just have like energy, you know? So if you're drinking and not taking care of yourself and not exercising, the entrepreneur road ain't going to work, you know, cause you can't mail that in. You can't just like punch the clock. Like you actually have to do stuff, you know? So there's a few for you. So now last two questions, how do we find you? How can we get in touch with you and how can we support your mission? Oh, um, well, you can email me, you know, um, Neil, N-E-I-L-P is my middle name, Philip Markey, M-A-R-K-E-Y, at Gmail, Neil P. Markey at Gmail. You can go to um, Evolutio, like so evolution without the N, dot org, evolutio.org. Um, and that's the business that I started a year and a half ago that's doing the meditation and the, you know, plant medicine-based retreats, and we just... You know, we're close to finalizing a partnership with a really exciting um, nonprofit in this in the space. So you can go there and drop your email in, and then you'll be on our distro. And then, yeah, come on some retreats, or um, let me know if your organization wants wants to talk about doing some meditation. Like I loved doing that stuff, and you know, we recently I did a program for McKinsey and for LinkedIn and for um, Siemens and Liberty Mutual and you know, keep getting really awesome feedback because the, you know, the stuff, the stuff works and I, um, I love doing it. So yeah, please reach out. I would love, I would love to connect with some, some folks. Okay. So last question I have, and I, and I, I love it because I, I ask a thousand people and I get a thousand different answers and they're all good. Um, and, and people can use them. I live in New Jersey. So obviously we're in a, um, because of our amazing governor, uh, we're going back into lockdown. So we have a lot of parents that have lost their jobs. They're driving Uber and door DoorDash just to put food in the kid's mouth. Mm -hmm. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it because they're too busy. But if I ask somebody that's listening to this right now to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do that. Mm -hmm. So if there's somebody out there, whether military or not, that is struggling with their own mental health issues, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get help? Well, you know, they can reach out to me. Um, there's the, the, the VA has the, the hotlines um, that, that, that they could call and then, you know, call a buddy. Look, I, I, I've been there. I've been like really close to ending it. And, um, there's people out there that care about you and, 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 and want you to be well and just like call an old friend and just, you, you know, you're almost doing them a favor. You know, like I love it when I hear from old buddies, it's just like life gets away from us. So it's like, you're you almost do them a favor. Just call, call, call an old friend and just catch up, you know? 
We all need that from time to time. I love it, brother. Thank you so much for taking your time to hang out with us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank you, Richard. I'm following everything you're doing. Um, I can't wait to see what you, John, and Will come up with next because you guys are just crushing it. So I just want to say thank you for your friendship. And if there's anything I can ever do to help continue and support your mission, I'm all on board. Awesome. Thank you, Richard. And I appreciate the work you're doing. It's really important and look forward to continuing the friendship. All right, brother. Well, God bless you and have an amazing weekend. Thank you, buddy. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.